Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. All right, so let's get into the book of Joel. You guys ready? I got to tell you, I'm just going to be be a little more um, vulnerable. This is a hard sermon for me. I like the uplifting, upbeat, get you fired up and go take on the world messages. This is, this is a necessary message, but it's not one of those messages. It's a little more somber. Can I say that? A little somber? Um, and so I've had a little bit of a wait. Now, now don't worry. We're going to get fired up, okay? But the reality is, is that we need to deal with some things in order to see revival come to North Idaho. And sometimes we don't want to look at it. We don't want to take the time to like actually look at the things that we need to pray into, to look at the things that God wants to remove and deal with in our own hearts. But we're going to do that today. And God's given us a really beautiful picture on how to do that in the book of Joel. So we're going to take chapter 1 today. Uh, We're going to pick it apart a little bit of chapter 1 in the book of Joel. Um, I'm going to do all of my reading today out of the New King James Version. And the reason why I use that is because it's the one I'm most familiar with, okay? Um, I, I, I think the English Standard Version does a really good job of this. And the Holman Christian Standard is phenomenal Old Testament version. So, um, Jen, I'm getting a little feedback if there's a way to maybe make that adjustment. Thank you. Um, and really, I bet you it's the high mid range EQ just needs the volume on the high mid just needs to come down a little. Um, okay. So last week we did, um, the introduction, um, there were some principles, like we kind of laid out the, the history, kind of what was going on, and, and it was like, you know, Joel comes on the scene after a bunch of families kill each other, right? Fighting for the thrones of Israel and Judah. Uh, we have the family line of Jezebel that's finally put down, okay, under Jehu, right? And now we've got young King Joash, who's seven years old, uh, who gets anointed as king right in the midst of a murder festival, um, which is kind of a weird place to, you know, be in. But this is the season that Joel is prophesying and that most classical scholars would place the book of Joel in. Now, some put it after the return from the exile, but I really um, sense strongly this is the right place to put it, at least for the series today. Um, and, you know, hey, Someday when we get to heaven, we'll be like, when was Joel written? Um, And we'll get to watch the DVD. It'll be cool. I think it'll be cool. It'll be probably live streamed or something, you know, but a little more advanced than heaven. That's right. Um, So the title of the sermon today is Feel the Pain. (laughs) Yay! Feel the pain. 
I want to talk, one of the things that we talked about to end our sermon last week was these first principles about the land. And I think it's really important that we just remember the first principles about the land. And why is the land important? The land comes up a lot because Joel is dealing specifically with the, the, all the loss that happened in the land and then all of the recovery that is to come to the land. Okay, now the land has to do with people. Right, Because the land is actually the thing that produces everything that sustains the people. Food, water, the meat, the veggies, second-class citizen vegetables, okay, to meat, right? All right, well, never mind. So the, the reality is that there is, this, there is this place where the land is what actually provides the sustenance, provides the ability to worship in the Old Testament. It was everything about worship was the fruit of the land, right? So there's all these elements to the land that I think are really, really important. And how, how many of you know a nation is defined by its geography, right? Also, it's defined by its language and it's defined by its culture, right? So when, a na- when we talk about nations, we are not just talking about uh, something ethereal. We're talking about boundaries, Right? Nations have boundaries and they've got, they've got um, borders. <laughs> Most nations, okay. Um, so, so I want to just touch on the first principles here around the land. Number one, Jesus' blood paid for the entirety of creation's redemption. Jesus' blood paid for the entirety of creation's redemption. All of it was paid for at the cross. All the redemption that we hear prophetically coming, it came through the blood, right? So his blood paid for it all, okay? This includes every arena of influence that we live with, participate in, or have influence over. Every arena of our life was paid for by the blood of Jesus to come into alignment with his desire for it. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, that means that the family is made to look like the way God wants it to look like, and it can look the way God wants it to look like because of the blood of Jesus. Families can be redeemed. Businesses can now begin to fulfill the mandate of trade and surplus. Why? To take care of those in need, right? Is, is the byproduct of healthy business. And that's the Old Testament, right? Leave some of the grain to the side. Don't gather everything for yourself. Leave some for those who don't have any so they can come along and glean off the land. That was a business practice. Okay, I just, I just think wrecks somebody's capitalism model. But let's just say when businesses are operating in righteousness, it's not, it's, it's not about giving money away. It's about providing for need. Right? Okay. Now, so businesses are also supposed to prosper and make a tremendous level of profit and raise everybody's standard. Okay, so it's not an if, if uh, either or, right? Like either you're giving all your money away or you're this greedy profit center. No, you be really profitable and you give a lot away. It's both and, okay? 
Um, the other, the other um, element here that we could talk about is the media, right? We know the spiritual stronghold over media is fear, right? It's produce and, and just invoke fear, 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 right? But God actually paid the price so that the message of redemption can be broadcast, right? That the story that's being told about what God wants to do overtakes fear, and we now operate from, instead of fear, we have hope, Right? So when, when redemption comes to media, you'll start to hear hope instead of fear, right? So now, um, I, these are not, this, all the, none of this is really in my notes. I just kind of feel like it's good for us to have a better grounding of context. When we talk about arts and entertainment, Arts and entertainment is the expression of the culture. It's what, this is the things that we enjoy that are pleasing to the eye, pleasing to the ears, right? All of those types of things. So arts and entertainment is like, oh man, amazing worship music, things that build up, things that edify, things that produce wholeness. The demonic stronghold over arts and entertainment is sexual immorality, right? So sexual immorality becomes the forefront right, of arts and entertainment, right, when it's under the rule of the enemy. But when Jesus' blood gets applied to arts and entertainment, you have Kanye West do a 180. You have Kanye West literally do a 180 and and say, boldly to the world, get your hands off my family. Jezebel doesn't stand a chance. That's in his lyrics. I almost played it on the breaking the independent spirit thing. On, on intimidation, because the dude is like, there is no more fear because we know the king. He's like, Christians are not going to be quiet. This guy's like probably about 20 years ahead of the church. You guys pay attention. I'm just telling you, Kanye's about 20 years ahead of the church. What he's saying right now, and he's getting skewered because of his past more than his present. Let's just be clear about that, right? God has full of like done such an amazing work in this guy that He's traveling around bringing worship to communities that hate God. And they're paying money to see it. And he's funding, I think he's got up to 12 uh, art schools now that are all Christian. Like, and we're, and we're complaining because he, he said bad things on a, before he got saved. All right, education. I may not preach the rest of my sermon. This is good. Education, right? The demonic stronghold of our education is humanism. The elevation of human thought, human reason, human ideology. That's the demonic stronghold over the education sphere. Well, when we see it redeemed, we see that, that man plays a part in God's world instead of the world playing a part in man's world. Right? Instead of everything coming up to man, now man and everything in the world all comes to the throne of God. So we need redemption in education. Amen? Lastly, I want to talk about, let me make sure, oh, there's two more. All right, I'm going to deal with the government. Right? The government is there specifically. We see this in Romans, Romans 13. Uh, we see it in a couple different places that the role of government is to basically set the boundaries for freedom. Our founders understood this when they set up the Constitution, right? And it's the only, only society ever in the world that was founded strictly on that, on that basis, 
Every, everyone else is kind of a little bit like, oh, we'll adopt some of that, but we'll keep some of this. You know, it's kind of a pick and choose. But America is a really unique place in that regard. And, and you know, government, the stronghold of our government is corruption, right? Like pay to play, corruption, right? Like my friend uh, um, in um, Pancho Merguia in Mexico, he worked with mayors and governors in, in a bunch of different places to start a national campaign that says, um, um, right, but what's it in Spanish, you remember? Something Centranza, like, yeah. So basically, it means thrive with no bribe. Thrive with no bribe. And in fact, they began actually putting, um, uh, you know, policies in place that if an elected official got caught taking a bribe, that if you outed them, you would not, you would get a reward for outing the bribe, right? And then that person would spend time in jail, right? Come on, I'm like, bring it to America, Right? Amen? You know, so, so the, the, when the government's operating in righteousness, it actually punishes evil and rewards good, right? But when, when, but when corruption is in place, it's under, the, it's under a demonic stronghold of corruption. And when corruption takes place, you, you, you start calling evil good, right? Everything flips on its head because it's always serving the individual whoever's in power, Okay? Um, and both parties are clearly corrupt. Now, one of the things that I want to I say about the last one is the church. And what I want to say is that the church suffers probably the most egregious stronghold, which is pride. 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 Mm, but when the church walks in humility, it transforms all the other arenas. Amen? Okay. So that's the foundation of what we're looking at here when we jump into the book of Joel. I'm, I'm saying that Jesus' blood paid for it all. All of those things, that God came to redeem all of it. He wrecked the temple, tore the veil, split the ground. The old way, no more. A new way established in him. These aspects of the culture are all areas that the church should be impacting, should be influencing. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Luke 10, 19. Jesus came, or 19, 10, sorry. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's one of the two. I didn't write it down. Joel prophesied during a time when there was an opportunity for Judah to be restored to righteousness, right? They had an opportunity to be restored to righteousness. This locust plague comes through. The locusts wipe out a ton of stuff. And there's this moment of devastation that Joel is looking at. And when the people of God neglect the call to worship, and of course, guys, here's something that's really important. Worship in the Old Testament was intertwined with government. What, what the church, what the, the people of Israel did when they worshipped is that they were, they were giving God authority over everything. There was no separation of church and state in Hebrew land. That's why the prophet always had access to the king. 
always had access to the king. Because if the king wasn't listening to the word of the Lord, there was a problem. Right? We see that happen over and over again. All right. So, the enemy will devour the livelihood, the resources, and the strength of the people when the people of God neglect proper worship. I want to um, read through the first 10 verses of Joel, and then we're going to talk about um, the locusts. I feel like this is going to be really important for us, um, and, and then we'll, we'll breeze through the rest of it pretty quickly. All right. Joel, the book of Joel, chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, the land laid waste. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Like there's something so so important happening here that it's like what is happening, you need to make sure that the generations do not forget what just happened. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail all you drinkers of wine because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Verse 8. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns. Say that with me. The land mourns for the grain is ruined, for new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Pretty bleak scene that we're stepping into. Right? And I'll tell you, you know what? This message isn't really focused on America. It's focused on North Idaho. But you will see the parallels here concerning the compromise that is given the land over to the devourer. But we need to start in ourselves first. And if we were, if we were to take the book of Joel and apply it to the present day, like big picture, we could say that the locust might represent communism, Marxism, socialism, some of these isms that have taken humanism, these, these ideologies that maybe have taken over the land, right? Like they're swarming in, it feels like, you know, we got some of this. I, I just like to speak plainly about what I think most people are thinking. Um, we might consider the locust to be apathy in the church. Maybe because the church has had opportunity to have influence in all of these arenas, and we said, oh, no, i got to be holy. And we stepped away. Right? And there's, that's an, there's an, perhaps there's an apathy in the church. We could even consider the locust to be a culture that does everything it can to take away those things that yield anything good or to yield the righteousness. So we can look at all these different things and go, oh, this must be the locust. This must be, I, I felt like we needed to make it a little more personal. We need to apply it right here directly to North Idaho and to ourselves. Can we do that? Okay. Like I said, this is is an interesting sermon. 
I'm, I'm going to talk about what the locusts could represent, and I say could represent. I am not saying that the Bible says that the locust represents X, Y, and Z, but I felt like I got some little revelation on it. So I'm just, I'm just giving you the heads up that when you read chewing locusts, you're like, it doesn't say that. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm using a little Holy Spirit uh, revelation to kind of put some clothes on this to make it apply to us because I felt like this is what the Lord wanted to do today. And I'm just saying it up front, okay? I'm not, I'm not false teaching. I'm just saying. Let's start with the chewing. The chewing locust. It's a really interesting word, the chewing locust. Um, it's about um, just constant consumption, right? The picture is 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 of a, a, a locust that just gnaws through things. Just it's a chewing locust, okay? Um, and so I was praying about this. I'm like, because I felt like the Lord had some some representation of these locusts, and I felt like the chewing locust is the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Lack of self-control, the appetites that devour. The appetites that devour. This is drug abuse, alcoholism, sexual addictions. They devour. In North Idaho, let me just say this. This is an issue here. But here, it's private, it is silent, and it is not talked about. It's all kept under wraps. It's not like Hollywood where they just throw it out in front of you. Here, it's behind the scenes. It's kept quiet. It's in the dark. Many times this manifests in abuse in families. There's about six months where every time I turned on the radio, I, almost, I, I, I wept several times, but there was some story about Sexual abuse and incest in a home. It just broke my, I just kept hearing it. All the, I'm like, ah, oh, Lord, 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 Lord. The chewing locusts set to devour. It chews up the life of our young ones, right? So that's a chewing locust. Got some scriptures that might apply. Romans 1, 24 through 26. Therefore, God also gave them up to the uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged, exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. The chewing locust devours. Let's talk about the swarming locust. Swarming. This is, the, this is groupthink, right? This is the culture. The swarming locust just surrounds you. It's not necessarily biting you all the time, but it's just surrounding you. They swarm. In the ways that... Um, um, uh, the culture would be the ways that North Idaho might be known for, the independent spirit and the poverty mindset. The swarming locust actually is this, it's the culture of the region that pushes against anybody who speaks out against it. Right? 
The independent spirit, poverty mindset. So when I say poverty mindset, let me just be clear. This is the idea that all I need to do is just survive and just get by. I just need the basics, and I feel lucky to have anything of value. That's what a poverty mindset is. Well, you should just, you just be lucky that we got running water now. I actually had a conversation uh, with somebody about that. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm like, praise God. Yes, be grateful, be thankful, right? But there's more that God has for us. And I'm not talking about the stuff. I'm not talking about the stuff, right? The poverty mindset says that you don't deserve more or you shouldn't have more. And if you have more, it's actually bad. It's evil. That if you're successful, that's actually a bad thing. We don't like that. That's why everybody hates everybody that comes up here from California with money. Let's be honest. The attitude is different because there's actually an entitlement in California to wealth. In, they feel entitled to wealth. Okay, do you, do you hear me? Here we feel entitled to poverty. So those two mindsets do not mix. Are you, I, I, this isn't my favorite sermon. We just need to process some of this stuff, guys. We need to look at it because we don't. We don't. All right, so swarming locusts, right? The swarm rejects or attacks those who don't agree with their culture. Hmm. It's true around money, politics, and religion. The, the culture says, keep it simple and don't expect too much. Some scriptures. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Ephesians 2, 1 through, 3, 1 through 3 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who, know, uh, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also uh, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Thanks, Paul. That was really nice, Paul. Um, there's, a, there's this thing where the culture is actually not kingdom yet. We, we've got to recognize that God, is, God wants us to step into the kingdom culture, and yet we have to address and look at and deal with the culture that exists now. If we're going to step into kingdom, we got to say, where are we? Okay. And you can disagree with my insights. I'm totally okay with that. And there, you might actually have better insights than me. I want to hear those. Okay? We're open. We're open. All right, let's talk about the crawling locusts. This is youthfulness. Youthfulness, and they're really the young, they're young locusts, right? The word there is for really young locusts. Um, and what's interesting is that, young, how many of you know youthful people make bad choices? Hello. All right, youthful people make bad choices, right? Except for Paul, he never made one, Okay? Let's just be clear. Paul, Paul never made a youthful bad choice. 
Oh, oh, okay. All right, well, we pray for you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The issue here isn't that bad choices are made. It's that people don't actually make amends for their bad choices here. I see it over and over and over. They don't make amends for it. They just try to move on. They just bury it and move on. They don't apologize. They don't do what it takes to make it right. They're like, well, time heals. And if it's 20 years between I have, whether or not I have a conversation with my brother, that's up to him. So, we try to move on. We keep bitterness and offenses for others' mistakes, and then we don't seek forgiveness when we get it wrong. We just leave the mess, and we try to move on. We don't clean up our messes. This is North Idaho culture. North Idaho people, I, I, I've been pastoring here for uh, 10 years, lived here for 16, and this is one of the hardest things that I have to teach people is how to apologize. And let me just tell you, it, oftentimes people have left the church because I said, no, you don't just not deal with it. No, you actually need to go clean that up. I'll go with you. I'll hold your hand. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that you get this right because you're you guys are in relationship forever, right? You're both believers. There's an eternal connection, a covenant that's there. Let's clean up the mess now. Not let that root of bitterness sink into your heart. The root of bitterness is caused by unforgiveness for offenses. And we go, no, 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 no. Just give it time. We'll move on. That's not kingdom. Time is okay. But you still have to make clean up your mess. You might need time to breathe. You might need a rest in relationship. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is when you don't go clean it up. That is the crawling, youthful locust here. We just leave the mess. We try to move on. This leaves trails of brokenness in families, and it leaves a family lineage of offense. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Ephesians 4.31, Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest any one of you, anyone fall short of the grace of God. How do you fall short? You don't forgive somebody. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. This is one of the biggest defilements in our region is unforgiveness. Not asking for it and not giving it. Both. All right, let's talk about the last one, consuming locust. This is oppression, oppression. This is after everything else is eaten. <laughs> okay, so whatever, whatever was from the uh, chewing locust, whatever the chewing locust left, whatever your flesh ate up whatever's left, the culture's going to go after. Whatever the culture doesn't get, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make sure you're offended. 
right? And then after the offense, now what we're going to do is we're going to leave you in a state of oppression. We're going to have a religious spirit that binds you to the law. If you're still standing after all this, the devil will use anything that he can to put you in chains and keep you from experiencing God's plans for your life. The consuming locusts eat everything that was left. We got to find, oftentimes we have to find a way to be okay with ourselves, right? Because we're not forgiving. We're still mired in our flesh. And we've adopted and called kingdom a independent spirit that um, doesn't, you know, that's, that's engrossed in a poverty mindset. And, and so now we got to figure out how do we, how is it that I can still be okay? And then we start following rules. Because we figure that if I can just follow the rules, especially the religious spirit, that says, if you do X, Y, and Z, then God will give you X, Y, and Z. If you do this, God will do that. Law. That's the law, right? How many of you know the Bible's full of the if-then statements, right? Full of the if-then statements. So if you give your life to Jesus, he does what? He gives you a new heart, right? Once you're walking in that new heart, now everything that you do comes out of relationship with the Father instead of I better make sure that I'm okay, therefore I have to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't perform up to my standard, we're going to kick you off, we're going to shove you to the side. We're going to make sure that you don't have influence because, you know, you acted poorly. I was thinking about this oppression thing and I thought about trauma and wounds and how that creates bondage in our lives, right? You guys know that? That, you know, when you're traumatized and you experience deep levels of pain, the devil loves that, especially when you're a child because he can create an attachment to it and try and keep you bound for the rest of your life so that every time you try to break three, he yanks on that chain and goes, oh, no, but you remember that wound back there? Huh? That could happen again. Keep you bound up. Right? I was thinking about that. And then the Lord really said, no. No, the bondage is that people are trying to do everything right and they're missing me. They're bound to performing for me instead of being with me. This is the Mount Sinai principle. God gives the law. Why? Because he wants to come close. He gave the law so he could be close with his children. Right? That's why that he gave the law because he's like, listen, you, there's a perfection level that I, I, I demand, but I want to be with you. And so what's he do? He sends Jesus to be the perfection principle, right? He is the perfection so that now it's covered by the blood and I can just come to the throne and be with God even in my imperfection, even in my sin, especially at my worst, I can come into the throne room and be forgiven. Instead, we, have, we often have a culture that, that, that rejects the most broken and hurting because they didn't perform well enough. And yet that's what the throne of grace is for. 
come boldly to the throne of grace. Not because you're perfect, actually because you're broken. So there's the crawling, consuming, swarming, chewing locusts. Here's some verses for the consuming locusts. Galatians 3.10, for as many of you as, so, uh, for as, rewind, try it again, Galatians 3.10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. That becomes bondage. Galatians 4.3, but now after you have known God, are rather, are rather are known by God, right, now that you've known God, actually, he corrects himself. He goes, actually, no, now that God knows you, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. Romans 7, 5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. This is heavy stuff. And here's what I want to say. It's a lot of devastation when we consider what the locusts have done to North Idaho. A lot of devastation often when we even think about what's happened in our own hearts over the years. I am not advocating that for those of you who are set free and forgiven, that you go back and beat yourself up over past sins. That is not God. You are forgiven. Period. There's something bigger happening here, and it has to do with the land. God wants a people who are willing to look the locusts' devastation in the eye and mourn over that. He wants a people who will weep over the brokenness in our land. I don't think that we fully grasp, often fully grasp. I get moments of it, but I don't think I fully grasp the pain and the suffering that sin has brought our region. And the pain and the suffering that the enemy is holding the region in. The locusts consumed the land, that consumed the vibrancy of it, right? The, the land was no longer able to yield the fruit it was destined and purposed for. Let's read verses 11 through 20 now. We doing all right? Okay, we're just buttoning this up real quick. Joel chapter 1. Be ashamed, you farmers. <laughs> Be ashamed, you farmers. The word ashamed there means disappointed. Be disappointed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up. The fig tree is withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. And all the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, all, come lie all night in sackcloth. 
you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. Verse 19, O Lord, to you I cry out. The fire has devoured the open pastures. <coughs> Excuse me. And a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. That's a bleak scene, isn't it? So here we can see a little bit of Joel's uh, prophetic saying, hey, listen, here's how you should respond when you see the devastation. So I just talked about four different aspects of devastation that I see all the time here in North Idaho. Are you with me? Okay. I see the devastation. And so what's the, what's the biblical, according to Joel, what should be the response when you notice the devastation of the land? Number one, Feel the pain. Feel the pain. Experience the sadness, the disappointment of the lost potential. I feel the sadness and the disappointment over the years of potential that was lost in this land. Number two, take time to mourn the losses. Don't just feel the pain. But more in the losses, I just saw an angel fly by. It was crazy. Sorry. More in the losses. Recognize that the resources for the functioning of God's kingdom have been devoured, consumed, and stolen. Mourn it. Stop being in denial. Go through a grieving process over what's been lost. I'm watching this with the election for a lot of people. Anger, denial, a lot of things. And I don't know what the Lord's going to do because I think God's, God's on the move in some areas, but I'll just say that. And yet, we're, there's a mourning that's happening. Right? But... Look here locally and go, okay, look at the devastation that is in families that is happening right now in our culture and families that have been bound up for generations because of the lust of the flesh, because of the passions that have run amok and, and the, the inability, the pride, the stubbornness to even say, I forgive you to somebody. These, these things have laid waste to generations here. We should mourn that. Let's look at verse 14. It says, Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. I, 
You know, when God asked us a few weeks ago to call a fast, we did that, right? We did a three-day fast. I, I, you know, I, I was studying for this. I was like, oh, we, we did that. One of the things that's really interesting is that, that God wants us to see the devastation, to look at it in the face, to let it break your heart and say, God, we need you to cry out to him, for him to come and do what only he can do. Come together and call upon the Lord. Cry out to God. Lastly, and I got to say this, don't look away and don't sugarcoat it. Don't look away. Don't sugarcoat the pain that's here. Don't look away from the devastation that's in this land and don't sugarcoat it. I didn't say repent. I didn't say any of that. That's next week. But we need to be okay with feeling the pain. Letting God's heart for this region, his broken heart, for this region, letting that into our heart a little bit because the Father's heart breaks over the lives and the generations that have been lost. His heart breaks not just for um, those who don't know Christ, but even those who are in the body of Christ who are bound up and aren't free. His heart breaks for that, and our heart needs to break too. I've ne- we've never seen revival come without some people's hearts being broken over a thing. I'm just going to be really clear with you. I've been studying it. And I don't see revival happening without some hearts broken. With people willing to cry out to the Father. Willing to pray and intercede because the pain hurts. I believe we often don't see transformation because we don't hate what sin does to ourselves and to our communities. We don't mourn the losses. We try to move past the pain as quickly as possible. (laughs) Can't this sermon be over already? It's like two minutes to noon. Then because we don't want to see it, we act like it's not there or as if we can avoid it. Or we try to mark out our little territory and we put big fences up and say, well, this is our good grass in the midst of all this devastation. The locusts don't care about your fence. (laughs) Today is a day to look at our inner man, look at our inner world, to take stock of what has been consuming us personally, right, in these areas. You know, the culture one is really fear of man here. You know, and I think think that for us, we could say, okay, have we been operating in the fear of man? That's a good way to, to do that personal look loss of flesh, the fear of man, the culture around us, growing bitterness through unforgiveness, isolation, right? This consuming oppression of a a religious spirit. You know, if there's things like that that we need to deal with internally, we should deal with that. We should say, God, please forgive me. I don't want to align with that. I don't want to, and forgive me for looking away from the devastation, right? You know, 
God will cast the biggest vision in the midst of looking at the worst situation. He doesn't look away. He doesn't look away from you when you're at your worst. He doesn't look away. He still watches when you're at your worst because he's waiting for eye contact. He's waiting for you to look at him. And then he's like, okay, yeah, come on. I see you. I'm right here. Come on. I'm with you. I didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. Even in your garbage, even in your worst moments, even in your own devastation, he didn't go anywhere. He's looking right at you. And he's saying, come on, look at me. Look at me. The whole time, Holy Spirit's like, I'm over here. And you're, you know, we feel shame. We feel guilt. We feel all those types of things. Listen, we've got to be a people that can look him in the eye and run to the Father in our brokenness because the world around us needs to see what it looks like in the middle of devastation for people to live free from devastation. How do you rescue somebody if you're not able to be above it? (laughs) Amen? So think about that. Think about what's been devouring your potential personally. And then we need to spend a few minutes and cry out to the Father for the land. There is hope in him. But we need to take a moment and feel the pain. This is one of my not favoritest ever sermons. But I think it's one of the most important. Stand with me, will you? Heavenly Father, I pray you would just begin to fill us with your heart. Come on, just put your hands out to receive the heart of the Father. And not just his love for you, but his love for this community. His love for the people that have have made North Idaho their home. Who felt called here, who felt like they should be here. Felt like this was the place that God was planting them. Or they don't even know why they're here. They just had a lawn bridge experience and showed up. For all those people, Father, will you give us your heart for them? For their brokenness, for their pain, for those things that have been allowed to live and thrive in this land, God, we we cry out to you. We won't look away from it. We won't ignore it. We won't act like it's not there. God, we need you. And your heart is for this place. Your heart is for these people. Your heart is for this land. Your heart is for the orphans, for the abused, for the broken here. It's not about getting it all right. It's about you. Father, we won't turn away anymore from the pain that we see. We want your heart, and your heart breaks over the broken. Your heart breaks over those who've been abused. Your heart breaks 
over the controlling and the manipulative man who binds his wife. Your heart breaks over kids who are beaten. Your heart breaks over those who've been sexually abused. Your heart breaks for the addicts who can't break free. Your heart breaks. So God, let our heart break. Don't let us walk away from this moment without your heart for these people, God. Father, give us a burden. Give us a burden for this community. Give us a burden to to reach into the mire and reach into the, the horrific situations. Give us a burden, Father. Give us a burden to be your hands, to be rescuers, to restore those things that have been broken. I don't need to protect myself. God, I have you. I have you. You are my protector. So teach us how to be bold in this, Father. Forgive me for looking past the brokenness, God. Forgive me for being so focused on the potential that I don't see the devastation. Forgive me for walking by the broken and not offering them hope, not offering them your love. Father, we love you. And we want your heart more than anything for these people. Will you purify our hearts, Father? Will you come in, in any areas where the locusts have been eating away in us? God, where there's been that inability to control the flesh? We just bring that in alignment right now in Jesus' name. We just bring our flesh into submission to the Spirit of God right now. Mm. Yeah, and, and thank you, Father, that in my brokenness, I can look you in the eye. You do not turn your head away from me, and I will not turn my head away from you. You're a good father. Father, I pray for everyone that struggles with ideologies and mindsets that are contrary to the kingdom, that are part of this culture. God, we, we want just the kingdom. We don't necessarily 
need it to look a certain way. God, we just want what you want. We want to agree with your word. And so, Father, those areas where we have not, Father, we ask your forgiveness for that. And we want to align our hearts and we commit our hearts and minds to seek first the kingdom of God. Because all the other stuff is just added on. And we're grateful, God. Father, I pray right now for everyone who comes from a long line of unforgiveness. We break that generational curse in Jesus' name. We bind the enemy that would want to continue to keep you bound to isolation, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Holy Spirit, pour your oil over everyone who hears these words. Pour your oil over them right now, your healing salve, your oil to soften up the hardened places in Jesus' name. That they would learn to take responsibility for their own words, their own actions, and seek forgiveness regardless of what anyone else has done. That they would take 100% of the responsibility for their percent of the issue. (laughs) That they would own what's theirs and not what's not. Father, I pray that everyone who's operated in the pride of religion and thinking they got it all dialed in and got it all right, forgive us, Lord. Father, remove any areas where we've been binding ourselves to performing for you instead of just being with you. Where we have sought your favor and your blessings over you. Where we thought if I did well enough, we could get ahead. If I gave enough, you would bless more. If I, you know, all of those things, Father, forgive us. Because we want you. (laughs) We know your principles always work. (laughs) But we're not here to pursue a principle. We're here to pursue you, Jesus. So, Father, I just thank you and praise you for the cleansing work that your Holy Spirit is doing in us today. Father, you are are bringing fresh wine, fresh oil, fresh fruit on the trees, fresh grain in the field. You're renewing the soil. You're bringing life to this region. You're bringing life, and I thank you that you've prepared a people to be the ones to restore the breach, to repair the breach and restore the streets. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.